Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz, yes, starting off Happy Hour as I always do with good news, but this is actually really good news for you, exciting news. Okay, okay. I am designating you Queen Uh-oh. Maga, ruler <laughs> of Ultra Maga land. I am drunk with power right now <laughs> for that for that uh, status that you've given me, Julie. What what does that even mean? I don't know. It just comes directly from Joe Biden. He wanted me to pass that along to you. He doesn't even know where he is. All right. Well, so let's talk about Ultra MAGA with our very special guest. Julie, introduce our special guest. One of our favorite people, by far our favorite tweeter. Um, now that he's not shadow banned anymore, I actually see his tweets. And just one of the smartest, quickest, funniest guys that we know and that is Sean Davis. What's your official title now? Are you Federalist King? Are you King of Federalist Land? King. Yeah, I'm the uh, the Great Federalist King. I think is what the business cards say. <laughs> oh no, wait. Ultra Great Federalist. King. <laughs> well, okay. we agree. Don't be yes. so humble. So, Sean, thank you for joining us. Um, we have a lot to cover. I sort of want to get to one of your latest tweets, um, and that is the protests in uh, Virginia related to the Supreme Court justices. And your tweet this morning sort of calling out Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who seems like a really good guy and, and seems like he's off to a good start, but not going the Ron DeSantis route, which would be, you know, rounding these people up, arresting them, charging them with parading, which is one of the uh, the most often used charges against the January 6th protesters. Um, so why don't you explain a little bit what's going on there and, uh, you know, just give our listeners an overview. Yeah, so we, we had the Supreme Court leak and then we had the all the lefty abortion crazies get all spun up and go even more psycho than normal. And then they started going and raising a ruckus outside the homes of various Supreme Court justices. Some are in Maryland, some are in Virginia, um, which is both a federal offense and a state offense, at least in Virginia. I'm not clear on Maryland's laws, um, but it's it's a crime to go and protest in front of fri- private residences under state Virginia law. And it's a, a federal crime to go and uh, protest or go after judges in an attempt to change their opinions or change their rulings on things. Um, it's I, I, I don't remember the exact phrasing in there, but it's something akin to obstruction that, that you're trying to get in the way of them discharging their duties. And so we know DOJ is not going to do anything because DOJ, regardless of who is AG or who is president, is just irreparably corrupt. It is a rotten institution to its core from the mm-hmm. bottom up. And that includes they're the busy. FBI. They're busy with the parents that go to school board meetings, so they do not have time for these. Yeah, yeah. Others. I mean, they, they got they got their hands full tracking down uh, terrorist parents and uh, garage pull cords. I mean, it's a uh, they got they got a tough job, you know. <laughs> Rolling around NASCAR garages and <laughs> calling parents terrorists. So, so we we have these crimes. It's a crime both uh, at the federal level and the state level. And then you have Glenn Youngkin coming out saying, "Yeah, I mean, gosh, I wish the feds would do more 
shucks, you know, kicking a pebble down the road with his hands in his pockets. <laughs> He's just real frustrated. Like, dude, do your job. Do your job. And, and by the way, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears uh, tweeted either last night or this morning. Um, yeah, by the way, this is a, a crime in the state of Virginia, and it would be nice if, uh, you know, the people in charge of enforcing the laws would enforce the laws here. And it's just this is typical Republican nonsense. And sorry, Glenn Youngkin, I know you've been good on some stuff, but we expect you to be good on all the things. That's your job. Uh, number one of which is enforcing the actual laws of your state. And it's just so frustrating. They get in, they talk a big game. And when you have people here trying to extort decisions at a Supreme Court on the issue that matters probably more to the conservative movement in his base than any issue over the last 50 years, he's sitting there, uh, you know, whistling past the graveyard and saying, oh, well, gee, I, I sure wish I could I could rely on Merrick Garland here. It's just enraging. And I get it. It's Virginia. Granted, he, he's a red governor, but it's a blue state. And even though he's a one term governor under state law and he doesn't have to run for reelect, he's probably thinking, well, I don't want to go and alienate these you know, left wing suburban women um, who love their abortions. I, so I, I certainly couldn't be cracking down on people trying to intimidate Supreme Court justices. Uh, you know, Larry Hogan's a whole nother idea. The guy's pro abortion. He, he's mm-hmm. functionally a Democrat. Yeah, Nobody he's not really him. one Nobody of us. Nobody expects him to do anything. But Youngkin, come on. And if you're not going to do your job, at least have like a spine and tell us why you're not doing your job. This pass the buck nonsense, I, I just find so disgusting and disappointing. I think he's one of many politicians that has not learned the lesson that Ron DeSantis has taught the state governors, which is, that, first of all, I mean, I, I live in Virginia. I have to say, I don't I don't think any of these like liberal wine moms are going to vote against Youngkin because of he arrested these rowdy abortion protesters and 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 in, in exchange would get CRT, which is why they voted out the Democrats. You know what I mean? It's like you have to do a calculus if that's what he's worried about electorally. But look at Ron DeSantis, who makes no apologies and gives no shits. And he's just sailing to an easy victory in uh, the fall. So never learn. They never learn. Well, to me, it's not just so much the lesson of DeSantis. It's it's the lesson that that Republican voters, I think, I think DeSantis learned the right lesson rather than illustrating the right lesson, which is that your voters expect you to do things. You should do those things. And uh, unfortunately, I think Republican voters especially have become so accustomed over the years to be promised one thing to have another thing delivered and we just kind of take it and move on because that's how the world works is that the Democrats get they get to use all their power for all their things, even when they're horrifically unpopular. But the Republicans know we just we couldn't possibly use our power. That might make the media not like us or that might make the uh, the moderates not like us. You never, ever, ever have the left or the Democrats thinking, well, gee, is, is, is this something we should be doing right now or I don't know. Um, maybe we should just ease back. I mean, they just had a vote yesterday on uh, codifying at the federal level unlimited abortion up to and possibly beyond the, the moment of birth and crowning. 
uh, juries out on whether uh, they think you, under their, the law they try to pass, that you could kill a baby that still had the umbilical cord uh, attached. And yet we have our people <sighs> sitting around and going, gee, I don't. I just don't know if we should be enforcing state law so Supreme Court justices can't be violently intimidated into changing their votes. Um, it's horrific. It, it really is, especially with the backdrop of not just January 6th, but also this memo that was released yesterday by House Judiciary from a whistleblower confirming basically Merrick Garland. I don't think Merrick Garland lied under oath because Merrick Garland is like Robert Mueller and Joe Biden. He has no idea what's going on. He is not running the DOJ. That was a total Lisa Monaco operation. The deputy attorney general, longtime Obama advisor, loyalist, Russian collusion hoaxer, just an evil witch. So that was her operation. Merrick Garland, you could tell in his testimony, was pretty much blindsided because he had no idea what what anyone was talking about. So, but he did functionally lie under oath. Um, but Sean, I know you saw this, uh, this letter that was released by Jim Jordan, uh, that details just a few examples of how the FBI is targeting parents who not just are protesting school board policies, but anti-mask, et cetera, including one organization. Um, but Sean, we have, how much more evidence do we need about this irredeemably corrupt, partisan, vengeful, dishonest FBI? How much more evidence do we need that it needs to be completely abolished? And what can Republicans do? Because you're, you're an expert on the process because of your time on the Hill. What can Republicans do when they have control of the House and or Senate? We'll forget the Senate. They won't control of the House next year to not just hold these this agency accountable, criminally accountable for how they're destroying lives, but just abolish it completely. What can be done to punish this FBI for what they're doing? Right. Well, can, because two things need to be happen need to happen. One is that the people who who have destroyed uh, the organization to the point that it's just irreparably uh, broken, they have to be punished for what they did. So what they did has had what they've done has had major consequences for this country, um, and then the second thing they have to do is make sure it never happens again. And and, and procedurally, it's actually very easy to do. Uh, you just don't fund it anymore. You create a new one. You start from scratch. Um, you completely change the rules so that the crap they pulled can't ever be pulled again. Personally, I I think one of the first things that uh, the the Republican Congress needs to do when they take over is impeach Merrick Garland. Mm, okay. I mean, because because that's that's the precedent we've established. Thanks to the Democrats, right. is, is that it, the bare minimum? If someone does something you don't like, you get to impeach them. Right. If if somebody has a phone call that you don't like, uh, uh, in having to deal with foreign policy, uh, you get to impeach them secretly with with the help of the media and the entire deep state security establishment. Um, and then if you don't uh, – if, if that doesn't work and if you're able to rig an election and that person says nasty things about you, you get to impeach them again even though they're not even going to be in office in 14 days. So that's the precedent that the left has set. Um, I, I actually think Merrick Garland and probably uh, Mayorkas, they actually have uh, under the, the true spirit and text of, of the laws and rules around impeachment – they have forfeited the duties of their office. Um, 
with Mayorkas, it's just refusing to do anything with the border. And with Garland, it's his, um, the false info he's given to Congress, and then plus all this absolute, illegal, unconstitutional, un-American nonsense that he has allowed his agencies to do under his watch. And I, I don't particularly care if he knows what's going on or doesn't know what's going on. The whole point of having political appointees in charge uh, of all these little deep state bureaucrats is that at the end of the day, someone has to be held accountable uh, by the political branches. So I think they need to come in. I think the FBI needs to be zeroed out. and We need to start from scratch. And then I think Garland needs to be impeached and thrown out like it, it at a bare minimum like that. That's that, that's the bare minimum we should do to fix this thing. And that's without us even getting into all the Russiagate nonsense. Um, and then, so then Lisa Monaco, t- now do you support impeaching Biden? Sure, why not? <laughs> that's what we do now. Just start yeah. impeaching everything, everyone. Yeah, if, if, here's the thing. If, if the left gets to do this whenever they don't get their way, if they get to say right. for, right. really, the entirety, I don't think... I do not have any adult memories of them accepting election results. I mean, when they lose elections, it's a temper tantrum. They stole it, blah, blah, blah. And then they spend the rest of their time trying to destroy the, the administration, delegitimize it. Um, they said Bush stole it. Then that Bush was a war criminal. And then, of course, Trump stole it. And um, it's these people are nuts. And if to me, you actually have to have something of a mutually assured destruction policy and politics or else um, political power ends up being a one-way ratchet where uh, whenever the Dems are in charge, they get to do what they do and completely get away with it. Um, but if Republicans can't do the same thing, the country's only going in one direction and it's going to go in the direction of the, the uh, entities that actually want to use all of their power. So just – on pure principle, you have to do back to them what they do to you, especially if you don't like those tactics. There's people on the right who'll be like, well, we couldn't possibly stoop to their level. That would be unprincipled. <laughs> well, if you don't like what they're doing, they have to know you're going to do it back to them even harder before they'll even think about not doing it. Yeah, there's something to be said for mutually assured destructive politics. And I think you're 100 percent right. And that's where we how we got to the position that we are about what the Democrats thought they could pull off during the Trump presidency, because somehow they knew they could get away with it. And the reason they knew they could get away with it is because they had gotten away with it and they just kept ratcheting it up. They're like a child who keeps testing the boundaries. And then when there's no consequences, they're just going to keep keep ratcheting it up. So I completely agree with you, Sean completely agree with you. In fact, I think they should do that to every agency. I think they should stop funding each agency and just start all over. Well, but think about think about all the nonsense that's happened that's happening right now that the left does. I mean, there's so much stuff we don't even know about that their little minions are doing in every bureaucracy. Why on earth shouldn't they be consumed with impeachment? It's going to keep them probably from doing nonsense. At least it'll slow down their ability to do nonsense because they'll be so consumed with just the mechanics of handling impeachments and investigations and nonstop inquiries, why on earth wouldn't we do that to them? I mean, we could have we could have ten like separate committees the minute Republicans take over the House on so many issues. I mean, we could probably have a hundred committees, but definitely at least ten committees, just like the January sixth committee. 
but they're not. I mean, that's the thing. I I think I'm comfortable saying right now that that is not going to happen. They're not they're not going to go in and they're not going to do anything. There's going to be Fox News appearances with some heated rhetoric, perhaps some finger wagging, and of course we'll get the trusted like hostile letter that will be sent to agencies <laughs> demanding accountability, but ultimately not a single thing. There will be no punishment. There will be no retaliation. You mark my words. Sean, what do you, do you agree with me or not? Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, we might <laughs> we might get a Trey Gowdy finger wag on television. During primetime, though? Will it be a primetime wag? Could, could or be will it be during the, the morning? Okay. But no, you're, you're totally right. You're, you're 100% right. I agree with you. So then the latest kick in the teeth from the Republican Party is the $40 billion in funding for Ukraine, which um, Kevin McCarthy, Elise Stefanik, Steve Scalise, the leaders of the of House Republicans voted in support of today. The Senate is scheduled to vote on it. Mitch McConnell is on the floor right now urging uh, GOP senators to pass this. Of course, he was in communications with Joe Biden this week. They were negotiating this. So. Um, I mean, this is just another outrage and betrayal to the base while so many things across the country are completely, completely imploding. Uh, but suddenly we're just going to shovel more money to Ukraine. Um, yeah, I, I especially like let, let's let, let's to the uh, the special election in Georgia where Republicans lost not one, but somehow two seats at the same time. <laughs> and a big issue at the time, set aside the whole stupid media narrative that was going on, the big policy issue at the time was after the COVID lockdowns, where millions of people were forcibly kicked out of work by the government, the question was whether the government should come and cut checks for people who had been who had lost their jobs and lost their livelihoods because of government lockdowns. And I think the number at the time was was two thousand bucks a person. Mm-hmm. And you had Republicans just defiantly saying, no, we couldn't possibly do it. We couldn't possibly afford to give people who lost their jobs because of our incompetence and our idiocy $2,000. And now we're sending 40 freaking billion dollars on top of however many other billions of dollars we sent to Ukraine to defend their border when ours is just completely unmanned. Uh, it is, to me, such an utter outrage. And it just shows how completely disconnected our so-called leaders are from the actual concerns uh, of, of the people they're supposed to represent. I, I, to me, it's just it's absolutely pathetic. And that's without us even getting into should we be involved there? What are the potential yeah. consequences, the potential of, us consequences of us being involved there? Do we end up in World War III? Um, have, have, has there been any vote at any point on an authorization of use of force, especially when we have members of Congress out there saying, oh, yeah, it's totally a proxy war between us and Russia, and we're willing to fight this thing to the last Ukrainian. Um, so we're not even getting into the the uh, question of whether this is a prudent foreign policy. It, 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 just on the dollar amount alone, what on earth are we doing? Inflation is rampant. Gas prices are completely unaffordable. You can't find baby formula. Um, but yeah, we, we should just go give uh, uh, Zelensky another $40 Because if there's one thing we've learned with this administration, it's when you throw billions of dollars of military equipment at a country that's a complete kleptocracy, yeah, you don't need <laughs> to worry at all about where that equipment and money and arms might end up. Do you think that the people are buying this? 
the administrative the administration's like line on on this war? I mean, are they believing that we need to send all this money over to the Ukraine? No, I don't think so at all. Okay, I mean, I, I, I say that because I know what's going on and you know what's going on and Julie knows what's going on. But I wonder if the public at large believes that we we need to we need to somehow be in this proxy war with Russia. Well, I mean, we, we kind of have a recent, a very recent political test case on this that that's a little more reliable than public opinion polls. And that was the primary uh, for the Ohio Senate race for the Republican Party. And a big issue there, especially for J.D. Vance, who ended up winning kind of in a walk, was the whole Ukraine war thing. He, he made uh, his opposition to our involvement there a key part of his campaign, especially in the last month. I mean, he was going to town on Gibbons and Mandel on support for no-fly zones and getting the U.S. enmeshed there. And we saw the results. You know, Ohio, it's not a super red state, you know, probably more red than Virginia, but it, it's not Oklahoma. It's not Alabama. Um, it's still kind of there in the middle. And that guy making that a centerpiece of his his final argument, one in a walk. So what does that tell you? So that's an interesting point. I wonder how much this will be an issue in other primaries um, and certainly the general election. Um, who, you know, the Democrats, I think I was watched Tucker's opening monologue last night, which was hilarious. Um, was but boy, Ooh. yeah, yeah. He, that was just a whole, that was just a great show, but his opening was great. And he was pointing out just every single house Democrat voted for this package, including Barbara Lee, who was the only Democrat in 2001, to object to authorizing uh, the war in Afghanistan after 9-11. So um, they are all in lockstep with this. So I wonder how much it will be a general, because Sean, you know, that we know this too. This isn't the last trove of billions of dollars that's going to go to Ukraine, right? They're going to oh, no, try this again. They're calling it a down payment. They're calling it a oh. down payment. So what are we, are we going to, so this is 20% of what's going in? Like, so we got another 200 billion coming, but yeah, it's, you're right. This is not the end of it. This is the beginning. Um, and so will, is there any hope that the Senate will not pass this today? Any chance? Well, if there is, I mean, if, if there is a chance they don't pass it today, it's because they'll just pass it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to they're pass it. I mean, these people deserve to be voted out. Any Republican supporting this just needs to be out and they're not going to get out and nothing is going to change. I hate to return to that theme, but it really is unconscionable that given the state of things domestically here and what the, how people are struggling to recover from this two year shutdown. I mean, not for you, Sean, you're in a free state. Julie spends a lot of time in a free state. Not all of us are that lucky, you know, people are picking up the pieces of their lives and we are just funneling billions of dollars over hundreds of billions of dollars eventually over to the Ukraine. And we're not sitting down and saying, look, you better strike a peace deal and you better strike it now. Because I think that's the that's the best course of action. It's not happening. I really hope it does play out in the election. But I, I you know, I'm not I'm again, I'm just not optimistic about it. At least in the Senate. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not optimistic about it or or about much. I mean, I think there's not nearly enough 
concern about what's happening with the economy right now. People just seem to be kind of like tooting along, like, oh, it'll just, you know, it'll get better. Um, but we had a one and a half percent contraction in the the GDP in the first quarter of this year. Um, and that's before inflation really ramped up, before gas prices uh, jacked up. I mean, it, we're going to be dealing with the after effects of the idiotic decision to lock down the global economy for years, mm-hmm. if not decades to come. I, yeah. I kind of assume we're, we're already in a recession. Um, I don't really particularly care how rosy the unemployment numbers look right now, because uh, the fact of the matter is one reason they're as low as they are. Is so many people have just decided we're not even going to be looking for work. And so they don't show up in those numbers. You talk to people who run restaurants, who run businesses, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you nobody wants to work. I, I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago who drills water wells for commercial and, and, and residential stuff. Uh, he can't find people to help him run his rigs. And he said, look, I'm not looking for rocket science, uh, rocket scientist. I just need a guy who will use a shovel. Can't find it. I, I see uh, at McDonald's job advertisements for 17, 18 or $20 an hour for McDonald's mm-hmm. and they can't find people. I'm sorry. That's not a healthy economy. That that's not a roaring job market. That is a sign of something that is deeply and fundamentally broken in the American economy. And uh, a good friend of mine who used to run a big fast food franchise said that he thinks the government response to COVID fundamentally fundamentally broke or destroyed the American work ethic, and that it was the American work ethic for the last century, if not more, that has been the source and the engine for America's economic dom- domination. It hasn't been, you know, tech or some other thing. It's been this unique thing to the American uh, to the American spirit. It's been our work ethic. We we work harder, um, we work smarter, and, and the government response has crushed that. And sorry, no amount of little tinkering and engineering at the federal level is going to fix that. Like that, it that something has to be done, and it starts with recognizing what the problem is. Um, but we don't even recognize what the problem it is. We, we have the White House saying that the economy out there is awesome. So. With that kind of denialism, I, I, I don't know how we get out of the mess that we're in, but it's going to get bad. And Sean, that is true. I mean, if you talk to any small business owner, especially restaurant owner, or even people who are in the like home building sector, commercial building, it is impossible for them to find and keep workers. I think a part of it too, say in a blue state like Illinois, where I live, is especially for restaurant workers, people who were displaced for months, if not up to a year, they are afraid that this is going to happen again. So why go work for a restaurant, a retailer, a home builder, when everything could just with the snap of finger be shut down again? But um, you're right. I think there is something that will, and I mean, the three of us were early because we were together in, in, in groups, we were early opponents to the lockdowns, right? Even when some of our friends or people we knew thought that this was okay, thought it was something we should do. But I think we saw, we looked ahead into the future. I don't even think at that point we realized how bad it was really going to get. So you not only have this uh, now, this long lasting, probably permanent damage to the, as you said, Sean, so well, the work ethic of, of, of the American people. Um, but now we're going to have long-term effects for our kids, especially children who 
are poor minorities. I mean, we already see the MAP scores coming out. They're 50% lower uh, from 2020 to 2021 than they were 2019 to 2020. I mean, so this is going to be, this is catastrophic, right? And so for Biden to get up there, anyone to get up there, pretend that the economy is rosy, the future looks bright, you know, we got to wear shades. No, people who are actually in living in reality know that this is not the case and things actually could get much worse. You know, it's particularly dangerous because this hit the younger generation, the useless millennials and Zoomers, um, I think harder than the greatest generation, Gen X, and um, (laughs) much harder because these kids are young. They have a, a gross sense of entitlement as far as the workplace is concerned. And then simultaneously, you have a large number of young kids, tweens and teens that are academically stunted, right? So there's a tsunami, it's a huge chunk of the population and it's the future that of people going into the future with a really perverted sense of a work ethic. What's, what's, they're entitled to from their employers and then also just intellectually stunted people. Although I will say there was a Harvard study that came out today that showed Florida was the least was not, not academically hit at all um, by COVID obviously because they never shut their schools down. I don't think they shut their schools down and maybe a little bit. I don't know, Julie, you might know better, but um, Florida, Florida got out unscathed, but all the rest of the states, you know, you have a lot of kids that are developmentally stunted, they're academically behind, and then the generation before them are just like entitled lazy brats. I mean, it doesn't bode well for America in the future. This is my my assessment. Well, look at where we were comparatively with other nations before all this started. The numbers weren't great. I mean, we're we're so far behind in in. Uh, mathematical and scientific test scores and achievement at, at grade school and high school level. It, it was embarrassing before. Then you take in the year plus of large swath of kids not even being in school. You take that, you combine it with the utter rot that is the government education system right now, where where we're plying kids with uh, nonsense like uh, uh, the 1619 Project, telling them they're all racist. And then you're throwing in all of the completely creepy and gross trans grooming crap. So we're 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 not just not teaching them history. We're teaching them fake history. Uh, we're not teaching them math because math is racist. So you can't do that. If you've seen anything coming out of out, out of out of the current generation, it's that they can't write worth a crap, um, let alone diagram a sentence, which I think is something we were all required to do growing up. And, and you have that with the lockdown gaps there. That's it, it. It's not great, Bob. Like things are yeah. not great uh, if you're relying on um, that generation to be your economic engine going forward. And that's before we even get into the whole demographic problem, where uh, we're completely like top heavy. Where you know so much of the prosperity of the the 70s and 80s and 90s was was driven by uh, the baby boom. We have the opposite problem now. So we don't have the economic engine of those large numbers, but we do have the economic drag of now having to provide 
all of the Medicare and Social Security for that. And it will come with the working age generation not being able to write a sentence or do a simple math problem. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not real bullish on our prospects at the moment. Um, there is something interesting happening, though, and that is um, parents taking their kids out of public schools because of what they observed, you know, especially in heavy lockdown states, blue states. And yes, Florida was open up. I remember because we'll sort of go back and forth to our place in Florida and, you know, bringing my daughters who are working remote, uh, my daughter who's in high school, public school here in Illinois, and just feeling rage and envy at the kids in Florida who were just had their normal lives. Right. And I don't know what it was by how it was by you, Sean. I know. Uh, Liz in Virginia was locked down too, but um, it just, uh, and so, yes, of course, there aren't going to be the disparities there. So, but in other areas, um, in big cities, the enrollment for public schools is down. And I think that that's probably a trend that will continue. Um, and that might be, you know, one good thing. I do think that's a good thing. Um, I, I Unfortunately, though, there there's a significant segment of the population that because life in America has become so unaffordable um, without two incomes, again, thanks to completely corrupt and incompetent government, um, there are people who simply cannot afford to uh, have one parent working or to homeschool and still put food on the table. And so I think, well, I think it's great that people are turning away from the, the rotten government school system I don't think that we can pin all of our hopes for educational reform on that. Uh, there, there has to be a wholesale reform of the government schooling system. There, there just, there has to be. And look, I'm a big fan of vouchers. I'm a big fan of school choice. I think people, if their money is being uh, taken from them by property taxes and used in substandard schools that are not sufficient for a kid's education, of course the parents should be able to have that money used for their kid's education elsewhere. But I don't think it's a silver bullet to just say, well, we got people moving to homeschool, we got school choice, everything's good. Something has to be done to fix the completely broken government school system. And also to take out the un- the teachers union, you know, a lot of um, political moves should be thought of in terms of a longer like a long-term gain, whereas you are reducing the influence of these bad forces that are affecting our our culture and our politics, like the teachers unions, like the universities. And so getting, opening up a school choice and taking away the power and the teachers unions, we've always talked about how the teachers unions are evil and they have a lot of power. But I think that during COVID, people really saw how exactly how much power they had to the point where they not the the CDC, which is, you know, a fake scientific, you know, science based uh, authority were the ones deciding whether schools would stay open or closed. Right. Not the science, but whether the teachers wanted to go back to school. So anything that will um, not just help the American student, American child, but also take away the power of these these malefactors, uh, I would support that immediately. But you're right. It's not enough just to have people choose to homeschool. There's just not enough people. I mean, everybody needs to have an opportunity for a good education. And the only way to do that is to get rid of the public school system as it exists today. Well, we know it can be done because it was done in this country for you know 200 years. So 
um, we kind of just have to go back to the system that worked rather than doing all this left wing hippie boomer nonsense that basically destroyed everything. Sean, before we let you go, because we know you have far more important people to talk to than us. But before we let you go, do you think if Elon Musk, when he finally formalizes whatever his takeover of Twitter and allows Trump back on the platform, will Trump start tweeting? Man, I have no idea. Uh, I kind of assume he will. It's such a big platform, and he's already got millions of people in there. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm thrilled with, with Musk buying Twitter. I think it will absolutely be a good thing for the platform. It'll be a good thing for free speech culture. But I will say I'm, I find it a little depressing that we're having to have our constitutional battles fought for us by a handful of oligarchs. Um, it, it shouldn't <laughs> right. require yeah. Elon Musk for us to be able to say things in public like boys and girls are different and boys can't get pregnant. But that's where we are. What, what was the old Rumsfeld quote? You go to war with the army you have, not the army you want. I, I guess we're going to war with the oligarchs we have. <laughs> with Elon. Thanks, Elon. <laughs> Well, Sean, thank you so much thank for you, joining Sean. us on Happy Hour. So many good insights as always. So thank you so much. Always awesome talking to you both. So thank you for having me. All right. All right. So that's awesome. Always nice to have Sean. So Julie, we have just a few minutes left. So let's talk about um, what's left to talk about. There's so many crazy things going on and we only got to touch on a few with Sean. What's your... What would you say after all of the things, depressing things that we talked about with Sean, what would you say the other hot story this week was? Well, I mean, I think it's sort of what was happening yesterday on Twitter, the Pennsylvania Republican primary. You've got unbelievably Donald Trump uh, endorsing this complete quack clown fraud, Dr. Oz. Um, who I didn't realize till I looked it up yesterday is worth between a hundred and five hundred million dollars. So of course you have people in the movement who see ching and they're gonna endorse a guy who is not conservative, who is obviously a huge phony. He wants to add US Senator to his resume. Um, he's a showman, uh, so maybe in a way he and Donald Trump are kind of soulmates. Um so you have him uh, endorsed by a lot of people, but you have this Kathy Barnett who's kind of, you know, coming up like, who was the horse that <laughs> was the one that won the Kentucky Derby? What was the name of the horse? Oh, um, First Strike or something. I can't like, Lucky I Strike or something. It's not Lucky Strike, but it's something <laughs> like that. I can't believe I don't know. I can't think of the name right now, but this is what happens when you get to my age. Um, well, yeah, she, she just she's just surging right now. You've got two people. You have Oz. You have some other dude, and McCormick then or McCormick or McKinley or something. And then you have this Kathy Barnett, and she's surging. She really is kind of like the the underdog, the um, grassroots candidate. But what's interesting is this full on assault on Twitter um, from these. I don't know, mercenaries that have been hired by the Trump Oz faction to just trash this lady. <laughs> and I'll tell you what 
pisses me off most. And this happens so much. I don't know. Listeners, listen closely. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to sh- it's going to rock your world. A lot of people on Twitter who are known personalities or pundits, and they have a, a degree of respect because of what they tweet or because they are writers or because they are podcasts or whatever, or they were former administration officials. A lot of them have respect, but they're also not speaking out of the respect that you've given them. They're paid to take certain positions and endorse certain candidates. So when you see them retweeting candidate stuff or endorsing a candidate in different races, it's not because they think they personally as an individual have made an assessment that this is the best candidate. It's because they are on the payroll. And it bothers me that a lot of people don't know that. And they think that they are getting like an honest straight, you know, a straight shot. So do you, what do you think, Julie? What did you see yesterday that got you up uppity? Well, I saw Rick Grinnell just, I mean, <laughs> man. Okay. We're going to name names. Well, I mean, can we name names? Yeah. Are we no, for, I mean, I don't know him. I don't owe Rick Grinnell anything. I don't know him. Do, do you? No, no. And, and I think that, no, I don't. And, and I, and I like Rick Grinnell. I I like Rick Grinnell, you know, and so there's candidates that he's either working for or supporting. I also am, you know, a fan. I'm a big fan of Adam Laxalt. He's running for Senator in Nevada to get rid of Catherine Mastio hyphen. She got a hyphen in there. I can't remember which one it is. Um, I want to say Cortez Massio, but I don't know if that's because AOC's poisoned me with the Cortez thing. Anyway, back to what, what we're saying, you know, but yeah, I mean, he's one of them. There's a bunch of people in addition to him that are just gunning for this lady and they've got an oppo file on her. They're dumping it with her military service. They're checking out the, her old tweet. Look, when they start digging up tweets from 2013 yeah that is not just some curious twitter personality that is somebody who has an oppo book that costs probably 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to hire someone to create then they send it out to their emissaries their emissaries go on twitter and they trash this lady um you know and do i know this lady i don't know her from anyone and do i have a dog in the race in the Pennsylvania Senate no I don't actually <laughs> I'm I, I'm only paying attention because it was so obvious of what was being done and you know it seems like this lady has actual grassroots voter appeal and that kind of pisses me off well it's the way in which they went about it so it's totally fine and it's necessary to vet any Republican candidate especially for Senate in a state that could be a, well, I guess it wouldn't be, is it, would it be a pickup? No. Um, who's leaving there? To, uh, Pat Toomey. So Toomey, yeah. he's, he's a Republican. Even. So it would be a hold, right? It would be keeping that seat, which they have a very good shot I in any of these uh, states that flipped. So you've got um, Senate races in, do we have one in, is there another one in Michigan, Wisconsin? Anyway, in Pennsylvania. So this will be a big race, right? Democrats want to take this seat. Um, so it's okay to vet these candidates, but the way they went about it, to your point, digging up tweets from six, seven years ago, um, I think there was a video that was made that obviously was dishonest. They were clipping together uh, comments to make it look like she was saying certain things about the police and BLM that she wasn't saying. So you can't have that sort of dishonest um uh, presentation. And what Rick Rennell did, he went after like, uh, uh, is it Ali Stuckey? 
um, attacked her. And then basically his message was, oh, you're attacking Trump candidates now or Trump picks. Well, no, duh. I mean, <laughs> we have to do that. And then he tweeted out a picture of Kathy Barnett with Anthony Scaramucci. Yeah. And everyone was like, you know who hired Anthony Scaramucci, right? Trump. So how is this like, yeah. how's this a dig? Um, so I think MAGA people need to do far better than that, especially if you were going to do, go public on Twitter and start attacking your own side. Um, they need better manners, basically, is what it boiled down to. And this is going to backfire huge on Rick Grinnell and the people who are supporting Dr. Oz. This was a and terrible look for them. And I Trump. Think also Trump. Because this is the, this is where shit gets real, you know. I think there are a lot of people rallied behind Trump because of what we were faced with. You know, Hillary Clinton and then, of course, Biden, which is kind of like Hillary Clinton, Obama. Um, so we saw we had that. But this there are most people in the Republican Party, especially the activists. And when you're having a, you know, a midterm election, the people that turn out are, you know, you have much lower turnout. It's high propensity voters the people that are much more politically engaged. Those people um, are ideologically oriented. They're not culty. Right. So they're not like, oh, Trump wants this guy. I'm voting for this guy. Um, and I think that we're going to see how that works out more and more as Trump makes all of these endorsements. And of course, the media is obsessed. They want so bad for the Trump, every candidate Trump endorses to lose. But, you know, there's like a divide about at what point are you, do you vote for someone because Trump likes the same guy you do, or are you just voting for a guy because Trump picked him? Because I don't know why Trump pick, picked up, picked up Dr. Oz for this to endorse. I mean, maybe there wasn't anyone better, but if not, then don't endorse at all. You know what I mean? This guy doesn't need your endorsement as $500 million or something. So it's not like he needs that. He needs to be lifted up. He's like an Oprah pet. You know, he doesn't need the visibility that a Trump endorsement would normally bring. So, I mean, okay, I have an idea about why he endorsed Dr. Oz. But it makes no sense if you're an actual conservative. This guy not have conservative history at all. No, he he does not. He has an anti-conservative history. I used to cover him when I was covering food and science issues, and he is a quack. I mean, he yeah. is a total quack. He has poisoned people's minds about science. He's climate science guy, too. He made some comments about um, after the Floyd riots about systemic racism. There's nothing. I mean, so did a lot of Republicans. I mean, Mitt Romney marching with BLM. So not like that's outside the pale of the current just establishment uh, GOP, but still, it was a very odd endorsement, and you have people like Sean Hannity on Fox having Dr. Oz on all the time. I guess he had him on last night, uh, uh, Wednesday night. So there's definitely something that I don't know if Dr. Oz has charmed these people. I mean, I know you, we have suspicions about other motives, but um, this is. Uh, but look, Trump's biggest weakness is choosing people. To do certain things, right? Yeah. Like he has I mean, a terrible where he get his advice to get where he gets advice from and then following advice from bad actors. Well, you know, it was like that's... the Anthony Scaramucci photo was so telling. It's like, okay, you're proving our point. Like 
Trump hired that clown. And then he turned around. He worked there for, what, two weeks. Then he turned around and did nothing but backstab Trump uh, from day one. And so you're sort of proving our point, Rick Grinnell, is that Trump has really lousy judgment a lot of the time when it comes to people he picks as candidates, when it comes to people, certainly people he picked or kept in office. Uh, I mean, who hired Chris Ray? Who hired Mark Esper, who just came out uh, and, you know, is back is stabbing Trump in the back, probably making up stories about what happened. No, I, literally, Esper is like in the news right now this week. It's like every week there's a new former Trump official, someone that he picked and hired and defended against people saying this is a bad person. And once they're in office saying this person is doing bad things and he defended them. So. You know, he doesn't have a good track record with that. And also, again, the question is what how many people that voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020 voted for Trump because he was Trump or voted for Trump because of conservative principles that Trump said? Because I think a lot of it is the principles and not the cult of personality, like we're electing a king, although we can't be sure. I mean, there are some really dumb people out there that do think politics is like. Um, you know, the ho- like a Hollywood gala, like the White House Correspondents Center. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And what if Oz loses? What if, what if, um, what if this lady wins? Is Trump going to go after her? You know, is he going to, you know what I mean? Is he going to like start attacking Kathy? Or it, it's, it's very interest, interesting. You, you never know with him. No, you, you really don't. And that's the scary thing. And he can't come out and attack her because he'll just, you know, Trump is, you know, if he's planning to run, <laughs> which it, by all appearances and people who know him say that he is, he's not really doing himself any favors. Right. So he really can't go. This Oz pick was really stupid. Um, last week he held a rally. He introduced the owners of Johnson and Johnson, which <laughs> just oh yeah uh, real popular they're real popular so i I don't so he's not doing himself any favors then you have in the background ron DeSantis just kicking ass every single day so what did he do this week i know you're following the florida news very closely he what set aside a day for victims of communism no he's always every day this guy's signing always got a bunch of really great bills from the florida legislature so he's just signing off on great stuff so he did the victims of communism day um and then you know know, then this awesome bill or whatever that if you have like someone dying in the hospital happens to be your spouse or a parent you actually can do what we've done for you know a million years a million years you can go sit with that person and you know be with them either as they pass away or or maybe help them get better because of course we saw all these people dying alone uh cruelly inhumanely kept away from these horrible medical professionals uh so no one would get a cold so he i i thought that was outstanding that alone i I vote yeah. for him for Trump any well, day. Well, I think another thing that Ron DeSantis has done, and of course he's getting so much attention because the Democrats fear him, as they should, um, is really the way that he handled the Disney situation where yeah. the legislature passed and the Senate passed a bill that said you can't teach gender identity or sex 
sexual sex ed, I guess, to children in kindergarten to third grade, which really is not a controversial at all. And Disney was forced by the woke shitheads that work for them to get politically active. And DeSantis basically kicked them in the balls and said, we're not changing. You know, he wasn't normally a, a regular Republican would immediately roll over and show their his belly. They'd be like, Here, no, here's my belly. Punch me right away. That's what a normal Republican would do. But Ron DeSantis was would not was basically not would not move. And in addition, he took away the tax benefits that Disney have because they basically control. They, it's like almost like a Vatican City in the middle of Florida, Disney the Disney World. They control <laughs> right. the police. They control everything. It's like the Vatican City. And DeSantis and the legislature stripped away all of their corporate privileges. But here's how that paid off. Because this week, earlier this week, I think Politico had a story about how all the corporations are being advised to sit down and shut the fuck up on this abortion uh, right. court week because yeah. of the fallout from Disney. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that is how you do it. And this kind of speaks to what we were talking about with Sean earlier, which is they have to know there's going to be consequences and they're going to suffer the same fate. And so I think that that was just so well executed by Ron DeSantis. So now the corporations, where are they? Where are the big corporations talking about, you know, oh, no, we the Alito wrote a bad bill. Oh, no. You know, where are they? They have shut the fuck up. And that right. is thanks to Ron DeSantis, who set an example. That's so. right. That's right. And I mean, he's going to keep doing it. Yep. And this is so he is the model. So it goes back to what we were talking at the beginning. Glenn Youngkin has. And of course, he's in a blue state. But look, Florida used to be a blue state or at least purple. So you lead by being a leader. You lead by taking bold action. Glenn Youngkin, if he's going to get all the wine moms in McLean or Alexandria all upset with him because they're he's following the law and you just say, here is the law. It is against the law. Here's the parading law. Here's 200 people who pleaded guilty and are getting prison time for pleading guilty to parading in the Capitol. They have gone to jail. Here's basically the same statute. It's under the same code, 18, 1507. Here it is. And this is the this is the law that we're using. Now, those people no, will never go to jail. Yeah. They won't be you know, held in the D.C. Gulag, but it still proves a point. It needs to happen and it needs to happen because this isn't the first time and it certainly will not be the last time that these this like motley crew of freaks has descended on some politician or administration official to harass them. You know, it did it happen. Remember, they went outside uh, McConnell. They were screaming murder turtle outside his right. house. Um, <laughs> you know, they went after Kavanaugh. Well, look, he lives in Maryland. So that's a lost cause. Just write it out. But a lot of smarter people live in Virginia. It's a little bit more liberty minded. Um, and there needs to be an example set, which is that if you do this, if you disrupt, because, again, you're not just disrupting the target of your anger, whether it's um, I think Alita lives in Alexandria um, and Amy Coney Barrett lives in they live in Virginia. You're not just disrupting them, especially if you live in a in a dense, denser city like Alexandria. These people don't live out on big farms where they're far away from their neighbors. These people are like you could high five your neighbor in the next house. 
So you are disrupting an entire neighborhood of people. You're disrupting traffic. You're disrupting parents with kids that are going places or going out to dinner or coming home. Now, granted, these are probably gross people and they're liberal because they live in Alexandria or Arlington or McLean or whatever, but still, or Fairfax, but still. So you are disrupting an entire neighborhood and it needs to stop. You know, you want to go stand on a public street corner, hold your sign up with your purple hair and start screaming because you can't have an eight-month abortion or whatever your shit is? Fine, do it. You can't do it in a fucking private neighborhood. And I agree with you. I'm disappointed um, that more serious action isn't taken against these people who are disrupting, basically disrupting civil society. Right. Well, on that note, we'll see what happens <laughs> with the Senate vote today and um, certainly await the meltdown when this uh, vote, or this ruling by the Supreme Court on Dobbs actually is issued. I guess it's supposed to be issued next month. So they should will- really just they should just drop it right now and say, you know what? Fuck you. Here it is. But instead, we're going to have to wait until the end of June is usually when they wrap up. So. Well, I love the suspense. I think it's great because it's just going to promote more of these demonstrations. I love it. No, I think I agree with you. I love any opportunity that these people have to show themselves, you know, like any opportunity they have to show to the public what, you know, that how insane they are. Um, And if there's even if they're violence or they break into hearings or something, I mean, it's great. So but you're right. So our hour is up. It went by very fast, as it always does. But we will be back next week. If you haven't subscribed, you can subscribe to Happy Hour with Julia and Liz on iTunes. Have a fantastic seven days, and you can listen to us next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julia and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.